Let's open up today to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, as we continue our series called Theology 101. It's kind of cool. One of the guys after the study, he, he came up to me and he said, can I ask you a question? What is theology? <laughs> and uh, it was cool. I, I thought, you know, there's probably a few people who don't know what that is. And, and I just basically told him, well, in, in its root and in, in its heart, it, it just means the study of God. And, you know, this whole series began because I, I recognized the fact as a pastor and just talking to so many different people that we got a lot of problems in life. There's a lot of uh, mountains that need to be moved. And, you know, there's a lot of broken things, I guess you could say, from a negative standpoint that need to be fixed. And the Lord just really has made it clear to me that in order to fix those things, I must fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. That it's cool to, you know, have an awareness of what your situation is and it's okay to have, you know, that self-examination. But it doesn't replace the concentration, the concentration that needs to be on Jesus Christ. And that as we learn about Him, then we'll fall in love, we'll grow in love, and then we will obey Him and then we'll know what to do. It's all about really just discovering what an awesome God that we have. And so, you know, we started about the existence of God and went into the Trinity and all these things about him. And then we did a few studies on the different names of God, just trying to learn more and more about him and who I am in him so that, you know, we can face all these things that we face with victory as mighty men of valor. And, and it's cool. We now find ourselves, we probably have a few more studies in this series in, in which we're looking at what's called the attributes of God. And the attributes of God are the ways that the Bible reveals himself to us, certain characteristics, cores of who he is. And as we study them together, it's so cool because it's one thing to know who he is and then to be like him and then to emulate him. And there are certain attributes that we can emulate. As a matter of fact, when you study the attributes of God, you'll find that most theologians uh, break them up into two categories. You have what's called the moral attributes, and then what you have is, is what's called the natural attributes. The moral attributes are, for example, the attribute of holiness and love and mercy. Uh, that's God's moral attributes, His goodness, His righteousness. And all those things are things that we can emulate, things that we can be. We can then be loving and merciful and gracious and you know, good and right as he works in our life. And those are the moral attributes. And it's a cool thing to study. But then there's what's called the natural attributes. And that is his omnipotence and his omniscience and his omnipresence and his imminence and things like that. Those are things that we can't be. You know, we can't be omnipotent, you know, all, all powerful. Only he is. And we can tap into his power, but we can't be that. You know, we can be, um, you know, there studying and we see him in his om omniscience and that is that God knows everything. And I know there's some of us here who think we know everything. Yeah, you think you know everything. You don't know you're not omniscient. God is. But we can tap into the one who knows everything and the one who is omnipresent. I wish I could be omnipresent sometimes so I can follow my kids around. Hey, what are you doing, man? What are you doing over there? You know, but I can't. But God is omnipresent. God can be there. God can watch over your kids. And it's so cool when you look at the different attributes of God and you put it all together and once again you fall in love. Once again you realize, wow, I have forgotten how awesome God is 
And you come back to it and, it and it radically changes your life. The moral attributes, the natural attributes. Others like, others like to call it the communicable attributes. And that means that humans can possess this to a certain degree, transmittable to others, or the non-communicable attributes. Again, not able to be transmitted to others. And so it's going to be cool. We're going to look at some of the attributes. Again, just learning about the Lord praying that it would change your life, praying that it would help you through all the struggles that you find yourself in, praying that it would help you and just equip you as you have the challenges of ministry and the challenges of family and whatever it is that God sets before you. Today I was talking to an individual guy. He's been coming here for three weeks and he told me today that he has a, a disease. He's, he's, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time, can't get a transplant. So he's thinking maybe he's got a year left to live. But the problem is he's lived his first 50 years as a drug addict. And so we were talking today and it was just so cool to see that the work that God's doing in his life. And he says, I want to finish well. He said, I want to die with integrity. He even told me I would love to be able to talk to the kids and tell them, don't waste your life like I did. And, you know, we're talking and this guy has a lot of regret and um, I was telling him, you know what, uh, trying to encourage him at the same time and saying, listen, it doesn't really matter how you start, it's how you finish. That's more important. You know, and that's important for us, you guys. We've got to finish well. We've got to finish every day well. Don't end the day running out of gas. End the day in the Psalms. End the day in worship. End the day in prayer. You know, and end your life with integrity and as you finish well and as you even some of you here have good starts it's so cool to see what the lord will do and that's what we want and as we get to know him we will get to love him and we will then obey him and god will do a great work in our life today we have a couple of attributes that uh probably we would consider the most important attributes of god and that is first of all his holiness and secondly, his graciousness. And we read here in Exodus 34, it says in verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flock nor herds feed before that mountain. And so he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now I like this story right here for a number of reasons. If you read the context, what you find is that Moses was hungering for more of God. Even though Moses had already seen more than probably you and I will ever see, he was not content. He wanted more of God. He wanted a deeper revelation of God, of the nature of God, who, uh, who he is, you know. And, and I pray that that's your prayer today. I pray that no matter where you're at, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years, that you would have this great hunger inside of you to know God and to see him like you've never seen him before. Like Psalm 42, it says, As a deer longs for the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. That's got to be your heart. That really should be your heart. That was Moses' heart. And so the Lord says, Okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to wake up real early in the morning. I want you to make sure you cut two tablets of stone like the first ones that they had broken. God's giving him now a second chance and the people of Israel a second chance. And he says, I want you to hike up the mountain and make sure that you're all alone. It's just you coming up that mountain. And I'll tell you what, I'll I'll meet you there, you know. And for me, when I look at that, I've always kind of just given it that, that allegory of my quiet time with God. You know how you want more of God in your life, right? But, you know, the Bible says, why is there the purchase price of wisdom in the heart of the fool? Because he doesn't have a heart for it. And some people say, well, I want more of God, but they're not willing to pay the price. And you can't get up in the morning. And you can't cut a couple of, you know, tablets of stone. And you can't carry them up the mountain because it's too steep for you. you. You're not willing to spend time alone with God. And there's a purchase price of wisdom and you're not willing to pay it. You see, because there in the mountain, that's where the revelation of God is. It's cool to get together as a congregation. It's vital to get together as a congregation. But when you get the fresh manna of God in your quiet time, that is what changes your life. And when you look at this right here, you see that's exactly what Moses did. You know, he woke up real early in the morning. He took those two tablets And he went up to the Lord. And those tablets, they represent our heart. You know, we don't take stones up necessarily. And, you know, I guess it's okay to take notes when you're spending time with the Lord. As a matter of fact, that I do do that. But more important than that is that he would write his word on your heart, on the tables of your heart. And as you're there, look look what happens. Look what God does. It says in verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Again, when you look at it in its context, what God did is God tucked Moses in the cleft of a rock. He kind of put his hand over him. He passed by and Moses saw his afterglow. And when God revealed himself to him, when God spoke to him, you know, it's like, okay, what is God going to say about himself? When he reveals himself, you know, to Moses and then, of course, to us, what is it that he will say regarding his person? And this is what he says in a nutshell. Number one, I want you to know my graciousness. And number two, I want you to know my holiness. And I would say that probably when you look at the attributes of God, that those are probably the two that would be on the top of the list. When you get to know God and you read about him in the Bible and you see all the different stories and, you know, the things that are implicit and explicit, what you'll find, number one, is God is a holy God. But number two, God is a gracious God. And those are the two things that we're going to look at today, his holiness and his 
graciousness. Right here he talks about mercy. He talks about forgiving. He talks about being long-suffering towards us. And I don't know about you, man, but I am so grateful that God is that way with me. If it were not for the graciousness and the mercy and the long-suffering of God, every single one of us at this point in time would be in hell waiting for the lake of fire, justifiably so, waiting to spend eternity in torment if it were not for the mercy, long-suffering, and graciousness of God. Now, there are those, of course, who have not humbled themselves and have not chosen to receive Christ as their righteousness and Lord and Savior, and therefore they're guilty, and God's holiness cannot clear the guilty, and one day they will suffer forever. And as they live the life, their kids suffer the same thing, and it just passes on and on and on. And we see that here, the way that God reveals himself to Moses. And we see this combination throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, if you go over to Romans 11 real quick, we see kind of the same combination, you know. In Romans chapter 11, I think it's good for us as Christians to kind of have these two together in our hearts always kind of finding the balance it's a tough thing to balance but make sure you don't have one without the other make sure that you are not here today in some holy roller without grace and make sure you're here today and you know you have that balance and you must not be some you know gracious guy or gal without holiness you need both You know, right here in Romans 11, it says in verse 22, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. You see, and there's the two again, the goodness, the graciousness, the mercy that God would save a wicked, wretched man like me and you. As we put our life in Christ, and yet at the same time, we understand the severity the holiness and the justice of God that condemns the guilty. You see heaven and you see hell. You see God's graciousness and God's holiness. And you always have to make sure that you have these two in your heart. You know, the two stimulations for obedience are are the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord. And, and, And as you have that balance, what I find is that those are healthy Christians. The healthy Christians. The unhealthy Christians are those that have all grace and no holiness and those who have all holiness and no grace. And really, you can't have holiness if you're not grace, gracious. You can't. You end up becoming a Pharisee, self-righteous individual. Those are the ones that make me angry. And those are the ones that make Jesus angry. Where God forgave you a debt of a trillion dollars and you cannot forgive the debt of five dollars towards you what's up with that is it are you better than god you're like manny you got to show him grace yeah yeah you're right forgive me lord i do i have to show him grace but man let me tell you be careful because god resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble i might not get you but god will man we have to be so careful Because God is holy and God is gracious. What is holiness? Well, there's a couple of things about holiness that theologians tell us that really define what it is. Number one is the transcendence 
And number two, it's the ethics. It's the transcendence and it's the ethics. The transcendence speaks of God's holiness and that he is absolutely distinct from all his creatures and is exalted above them in infinite majesty. You see, God is separate and distinct from all his creation, from all his creatures. There's no one at his plane. There's no one at his level. He is exalted above all creation in his position of majesty. It says in Exodus 15:11, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness?" You see, there's no one like God, huh? And when you look at the holiness of God, it, it just it brings you to that point of awe, and really, you know, it, it makes you have the priorities right in your life. You know, I don't know how you guys operate. I don't know how you function. But I really pray that you would function with the desire to please God. Why? Because he's holy. He's exalted. He's distinct from all creatures and creation. I believe, I firmly believe there are many Christians who live, make decisions to please men. If I do that, what will they think of me? What will God think of you? Isn't that more important? The fear of man brings a snare. You better start, you know, getting a little courage under your belt as a Christian, man. You better start making a stand for righteousness. What does God want? Why? Because he's holy and distinct above all creation, above that person that you've been putting on a pedestal. And God will have no rival thrones. You see, he's holy in his position. Deuteronomy 33:26 says there's no one like God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. There's no one like him. 1 Samuel 2:2 2, 2 says there's no one holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, no nor is there any rock like our God. You see God is holy in his transcendence. And what we see is he has the unique position of being set apart distinct in his place be of above creation. But not only does it speak of his transcendence, it also speaks of his ethics. Because what we read about the ethical part of his holiness is this. And this is, I think, something that we're probably more familiar with. He is separate from moral evil or sin. Holiness points to God's majestic purity and ethical majesty. Like we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And really this is where it starts, but really, and the, what I'm trying to share with you guys is, is that it, it can't end here, but it must, it must start here. That when you look at the Lord and you realize there's no one like him, he's holy in his transcendence, separate, set apart, distinct and above creation in his majesty. And with his ethics, there's no sin, no trace of wickedness, evil or darkness at all in him. And we get to know God. You know, some guys refer to God as, I don't know, the, the 
I think Time of the Sword called him the, what, the big blue guy in the sky. I don't know, something like that, man. Some people are so flippant in their thoughts of God, you know. And we have to realize, no, number one attribute of God is His holiness. That there's no darkness at all within Him. You know, Leviticus 10.3 tells us that we've got to know this. It says, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. And if you remember the background right there, what had happened was God had slain Nadab and Abihu. Why? Because they were in the ministry and their hearts weren't right. We know that their specific sin was probably they were drinking, they got drunk, and then they went in and they ministered and they offered profane or strange fire to God. And so God killed them as an illustration, as a message to all of us, especially if you're involved in ministry, that if you want to get near to God, you must regard him as holy. And that means that you stop playing games. That means that you stop taking sin lightly. That means that if you're going to be coming to church and if you're going to be saying that you seek after God and if you're going to be crying out for power and strength and for things to change within your life, within the life of your loved ones who are watching you and are learning by your example that we must know that we serve a holy God. And we can't just say whatever we want to say. We can't. We don't have that type of authority over our own words. We can't think what we want to think and look at the things that we want to look at. We can't. We've got to hate sin. Why? Because... God's a holy God. And he said, if you want to come near to me, then you need to know that I must be regarded as holy. And I tell you what, if you don't, if you take this whole thing lightly and you go ahead and sin, you get ticked off at your spouse and your kids and your friends or whoever it is, then you want to know something? You deserve to die on the spot. I don't care if you're a Christian. That's what you deserve. Now, thank God he doesn't kill us all the time when we sin because, you know, we'd all be dead, right? But he kills other things. Huh. If we continue in sin and to take it lightly, then he kills the calling. And you might not even know it. But there you are. And you've, you know, the Bible says, God talks about how what he wanted to do is he wanted to make this beautiful vase. Uh, the children of Israel would be like this beautiful, you know, cistern to hold water. And I would pour out to you and to others and it would be a beautiful thing that I'm going to do with your life but because you continue to do the things the way you've been doing them not like me but your own way then what ends up happening is all you are is you're, you're shattered and you get these little pieces of the vase so he told the, the guys through the book of Jeremiah and you're all now you are is your little piece and all I can do is scratch my back with you when before what I wanted to do is I wanted to pour out some beautiful water through you and you might not even know it. There you are, you're scratching backs and you're thinking, oh, I'm doing so good, I'm doing so good. And God said, you want to know something? And one day you might find out. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I wanted to do so much more with your life. But you just continued to be stiff-necked and resist the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we take sin lightly. And there's different types of sin. You know, there's the respectable sins. 
It's not just the prostitutes. It's just not just those in sexual immorality. It's not just those who are drunks and doing drugs. It's the pride. It's the respectable sins. It's the gossip. It's the things that take place, you know, that we might not recognize, but God sees. He says, man, you got to know that I'm a holy God. And therefore, we must be holy as well, right? Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And that's the communicable attribute. That's something that humans can do. We can emulate God in that. We can begin to practice lives of holiness. You know, and so I just really want to encourage you guys today as we're learning about God and we're learning about, you know, who He is and how He is, that there you are in your heart and you open up to page 37 or whatever and there's your list of who God is and how God is and the top of the list you write, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It says in Isaiah 6, 3, it says in the book of Revelation, the angels were saying it, holy, holy, holy. Again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the emphasis there being on who He is. If we caught that vision, then we would change the world. You know, C.S. Lewis said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. He said, even if 10% of the world's population had holiness, would not the whole world would be converted by year's end? <laughs> and it's true. Your kids will change. I know you're praying for them, and you've got to pray for them, and I know you're spanking them, and you've got to spank them. That's okay, man. That's what the padding's for, Okay. You know, that rod of, you know, correction on the seat of understanding. It's absolutely vital, man. A child left to himself brings his parents shame. You've got to discipline your kids. You've got to exercise authority over them. And those are going to, you know, make a difference in their life. But nothing will be as powerful as your example to them. And when they see it modeled in a life, and they see and they realize that it can happen in a heart then that right there will be the key for them becoming the kids and us you know just seeing the world change there you are at work or with your family members and they find out you know for the first time in their life that somebody really loves them loves them you know and and that's rare nowadays you know all the attributes of God, anything that has to do with obedience. Remember, it falls under the category of being holy, of being a holy God. And so, you know, you can have a whole bunch of rules and regulations and you'll restrain your kids from the outside. The law will do its, you know, thing, but it will never change them on the inside. The law doesn't have that type of power. But love does. Love changes their heart. Love changes their heart. And as we do things God's way, it's so cool that it really makes that impression. D.L. Moody said, a holy life will produce the deepest impression 
Lighthouses blow, no horns, they just shine. And as your life becomes a lighthouse, as you really discover what holiness is, it's not being a Pharisee. It's not. It's being obedient. It's being real. It's being loving. It's being gracious. It's being like Jesus, who would hang out with the prostitutes if necessary. It's not being, if you're like the Lord and you get holy, then you watch what the Lord will do through your life. He's holy and he wants us to be holy. You know, you look at that. I don't know about you, man, but when I see the holiness of God and I see the light, no darkness at all, I see him there set apart, separate, distinct from his creation, above all of us in his majesty. And there he is looking down on a fallen world and not just a fallen world, but a wicked, wretched, rebellious man like me. Then I wonder, well, well, now what? You're so holy, I'm so unholy. Now what? And that's where graciousness kicks in, huh? That's where that, that attribute of God called graciousness kicks in. And you learn who God is. I was talking to my kids about this on the way over here. I said, what do you think? Um, do you think some people are like more gracious just by nature than others? And they're like, yeah, Dad, definitely, yeah. There's some people like that, you know. And, and I think there are. I don't know if you guys, how, how life has been for you, but I just kind of noticed even among non-Christians that some are more gracious than others and some are more ungracious than others. It's just, I don't know, sometimes it's, I guess it's an inclination that we have. And then as you're a Christian, this is another thing I've noticed, that you end up being like the people you hang out with. And if you were raised in an ungracious environment, if you were discipled by an ungracious leader, then you end up emulating that. But if you're led and you're loved and you're discipled by an individual who has that healthy balance, the holiness, it's so cool to see what ends up happening. But no matter where you're at today, we've got to deal with the truth right here and right now. That God is a holy God. But God is also a gracious God. And I thank God for that. Without the grace of God in my life, I already told you where I'd be right now as far as in the lake of fire, in hell, probably even before the Antichrist. I mean, it's crazy how bad I am. But not involved in the ministry, not having a family, not having kids and a wife who loves me, nothing, no friends, nothing. And yet God has lavished down his grace upon my life and your life. His makes his rain fall on the just and the unjust. Right? That's what we see in life. The grace of God means this, that God enjoys, that's crazy, he enjoys giving great gifts to those who love him, even though they don't deserve it. Grace is the way we describe that inclination. And what do we usually do? Here's our thing. They don't deserve it. Look at what they did. Do you deserve it? No. But God has been so gracious to us. There's none that are good. No, not one. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you... Let everybody live with you. And I'm not saying that you give everybody the 
the password to your bank account. I'm not saying, you know, crazy stuff like that, you know. And I know there are certain decisions that you have to make sometimes in that love that we call it tough love, you know, things like that. But man, be so careful. Jesus said this, I'll tell you what, let's work it out this way, Matthew chapter 7. The judgment that you use, I'll use it back to you. How do, what do you think? Is that cool? And so, you know, you're like, okay, it's a boomerang. It really is a boomerang. You're like, okay, I'm going to be this way with them. Mm, hard, and, you know, that. okay, God says, cool. All right, I'll be that way with you. It's so heavy when you think about these things. But we have to come to grips with this is how our God is. And we have to learn from that. And we have to ex- examine our life, you know. Grace is defined as that unmerited favor, undeserving favor, unmerited, undeserving. I don't care how many times you read your Bible, how long you pray, how many times you go to church, how many times you go down to the Rosarito, wherever you go, you will never deserve it. It's unmerited favor under those who are under condemnation. The word denotes deliverance. It denotes Deliverance from affliction or adversity, the enablements, the daily guidance. It's the forgiveness and preservation that God provides. The New Testament word karis specifically focuses on the provision of salvation in Jesus Christ. How many of you have the t-shirt? Just out of curiosity. You guys know what it says? What does it say? For by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? And it's true. You're like, well, I have the t-shirt. Cool. Do you live it? Do you know it for yourself? And do you extend that to others? You know, there's that acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's reward at Christ's expense, right? And that's the way it works. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Whenever I talk about grace, there's always a little voice in the back of my head saying, oh, man, people aren't going to like this. But I just have to share with you what God's word says. It says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but there it is again, the grace of God, which was with me. When Paul the Apostle comes to his ministry and when he comes to describe his life, he just keeps saying, grace, grace, grace. The grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, and it's important for us to never forget that. You know, that grace of God that's extended towards us, he said, did a work in me. You know, and I think what ends up happening in life is when you, when you become like a, a, a balanced Christian, when you become a biblical Christian, when you get a good grip of grace, you definitely don't abuse it, but you definitely do use it. And the way that you can tell when an individual has a good grip on the grace and they're receiving the grace from God in a healthy way is whether or not they're distributing it to others. You know, there's no sin that can't be forgiven. You know, I think Peter, 
is such a great example of the grace of God. Peter denied the Lord three times. That's such a terrible, 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 terrible sin. After all he had seen and how close he was to Jesus, he denied the Lord. And then after he was denied the Lord, it's, it's kind of weird. Even after seeing the risen Christ, he said, you know what, I'm not going to do what God called me to do. I'm going to go fishing. And he started taking guys with him. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone did that to me, I would say, get out of town. That's fine. You go do your thing. I'm going to find somebody else. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went fishing. And he went for Peter and he sat him down and he restored him. He restored him to the ministry because that's the heart of God. It's called a ministry of reconciliation. He restored him. And thank God he restored him because Peter changed the world. And it's that grace that's extended through the lives of his people. We're the body of Christ that will change the world. I love being around gracious people. I love it because I need it. I hate being around self-righteous people, but I've got to love them. i got to love them. i got to extend grace to them, but it's tough. It's very tough. God says, listen, here's Paul. He's probably the guy that's been used more than any man. And you might point to Billy Graham, but Paul did it without the internet. Paul did it without airplanes and trains and automobiles. Homeboy did it with the Holy Spirit, right? Turned the world upside down. Paul, what was his key? I was perfect. Is that what he said? No, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And what ended up happening was the grace worked in his life and so it says right there, and it wasn't in vain. See, that's my fear sometimes. I'm like, well, Lord, if I extend grace to them, what if they trample all over me, Lord? And what if they continue in sin? And, you know, and it's kind of like those religious leaders. They brought the woman to Jesus and they said, we caught her in the middle of the act of adultery. She is so guilty. The law says we should stone her. <laughs> what do you say? And Jesus said, you know, let me write down your sins right here real quick so you can kind of think about it. And they're like, oh, what do you say? And Jesus said, well, he's without sin. Let him cast the first stone. And if Jesus wasn't there, they probably would have done it anyways. But one by one, beginning from the oldest to the youngest, meaning the wisest, the one who was, you know, a little bit more open, they started walking away. And the woman's there and she's just wondering, am I going to die? Is it over for me? Am I going to die? And Jesus said, where's your accusers? Doesn't anybody accuse you? And, and she said, none, Lord. And he said, neither do I. But go and, and sin no more. And she probably sinned again, you know. I don't know how her life ended up. But I have a feeling that she's in heaven right now. I have a strange feeling that she went on to live a life of grace and forgiveness. You know, because she was given that. You know, you read about the Pharisees and the impact they made on the people. He said sometimes you make them twice the son of hell as yourself. And so I have a feeling that they're going to have a very heavy condemnation. 
The Bible says that God is a holy God, and I'm not trying to take away from that in any way, and I pray that that would be deeply embedded in your heart, and I pray you would hate sin. But I just know that when you see it in the lives of other people, don't look down on them. Don't despise them. Don't think that God doesn't love them madly, because He does. And he's forgiven you of your sins and you need to go out and forgive others as well. You know, we see the balance and it's so tough. But I believe when you have a personal relationship with God that he leads you every single step of the way. You know, the Bible talks about the day that God would judge the whole world. He was going to send a flood. Everybody was going to die. Everybody. Because of the holiness of God. But Noah found grace in God's eyes. And you have found grace. You have found grace. And so this is what I encourage you to do. Start building an ark. Because Noah was a preacher. He wasn't just a carpenter. The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. And as you start building your ark, and as you start building your home, and as you start doing what's right, and you're obedient to God, even though sometimes it's so hard, and you just do what's right by faith, then people, they come up to you and they say, what are you doing? And you tell them, I'm building an ark because the judgment of God is coming. And you begin to preach to them and you begin to share with them. See, that's what God wants because the day is coming. The day is coming when the judgment of God will come. And as we're building the ark of obedience, it says right there, for the saving of his family, he moved with godly fear. Then I really believe that God will use our life as well. He found grace. How many of you here have found grace? (laughs) Oh, thank the Lord for his reward. You know, it's found 139 times in the Bible. It's the last verse of the Bible, just in case you're wondering. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And when you know you're forgiven, it's so cool because I think that modifies your behavior, like I said earlier, more than anything else, you know. Because when you don't know you're forgiven and you're walking around with a cloud of condemnation and that right there, the devil comes and he says, do you know what you did? You know, first he tempts you to fall and then when you fall, he kicks you, right? I hate when I see fights and guys kicking other guys. That's a real, real ugly thing. That's what the devil does, right? And then comes here comes your friend, And they join in with the language of Lucifer. And they condemn you as well. Sometimes it's not by words, sometimes it's by actions. How are they going to get up? I've seen, you know, so many things go on in this church. Beautiful things of individuals with hearts of grace. Reaching out that extended hand to the fallen brother, the fallen sister. And to those of you who have that heart, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being that kind of Christian. Because that's how God is. It's a beautiful thing. Because we need to know we're forgiven. Thomas Kempis said, they travel lightly whom God's grace carries. Grace changes everything. That's what Pastor Chuck said. (laughs) He wrote a book. It's called Why Grace Changes Everything. And I have a strange feeling that's probably one of the reasons 
why God has used him in such a tremendous way. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. And when a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. And when a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage or winning a prize or doesn't deserve an award and yet receives such a gift anyways, that right there is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. And this is what we mean about when we talk about the grace of God that changes our life. And you're going to find, you guys, as you go through life, that this is a tough thing. I don't know about you, but for me, it's kind of a tough thing, you know? Like, do I show my kid grace right here, or do I beat him up? Lord, give me, you know, the deal. What do I do here, man? But I really believe that when you get to know God, and you really begin to get a little bit more in tune in the way that he's dealt with you, what I found is this, is that people who are aware of their sins and and if I could just kind of say it this way, people who have maybe stumbled or messed up a couple of times in their life, somehow they have more of a capacity to be gracious toward other people. But if for some reason you feel like you have no sin and you kind of haven't done that bad and you're actually kind of good, for them it's a little harder to show grace to other people. But you got to do it, man. The holiness and the grace, they come combined because that's how God is and you see it over and over and over again in a very, very radical way. I love the scripture. We'll close with this. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin, he knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace in our life. Father, I just pray that you would just do a great work in us, Lord, and that you would allow us to be like you, Father, that you would allow us to know you in your holiness and in your graciousness, Lord. I pray your word would encourage my brothers and sisters here today and I pray, Lord God, that we would never lean too far to the right or too far to the left. But like Paul the Apostle said, I become all things to all men. To those who are without law, I become as without law. To those who are with law, I become with law. I do all things for all men that I might win some. And so help us, Lord God, to win some. <laughs> Help us, Lord, to be like you, Lord. Help us, Father, as a pray as a church to have that beautiful biblical balance. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your graciousness. I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, Lord, and that they would recognize that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, Lord, that without Jesus they will perish. But, Father, that today they would know that if they turn from their sins and trust in Christ today, Lord, that they will have life. And that more abundantly, that they can be free and forgiven and set uh, free from the bondage of sin, the penalty and the power of sin. And so, Lord, I thank you so much. May every heart here
be yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.